this congregation has been a special part of our lives for many years, our ministry in Luxembourg and Scotland, and in our ministry with the mission down in Georgia and other places, and we thank you for that. Thank you for your faithfulness and your generosity. Just a quick update. We have five children, if you remember. Our oldest, we live near her in her family in Idaho. Our next oldest is Lincoln. He lives in Scotland, Edinburgh, Scotland. He's a banker out there. Then we have a son who is a pastor in New Brunswick, a daughter who is a missionary with BMW in France that just finished language study in, outside of Paris. My youngest son is down in Lynchburg, Virginia, and they have given us 13 grandchildren. And I don't know if we should mention this or not, but we have a, grand, a great-grandchild. Don't, don't say anything to Joy about that. And another one on the way, so the Lord blesses that. We'll be visiting with the missions committee this afternoon, I understand, so we'll give them the, the nitty-gritty of everything else, but we want to move on to the Word of God. If you take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to take some time and think about some Pauline exhortations for the servant of God. Now, it's primarily... Paul addressing Timothy, the pastor of the church at Ephesus at that time. But you know, there is a great deal of, of responsibility that placed on every Christian from this passage as well. And we're going to take some time to unpack that, to look at what the Lord has to say for how you and I need to address ourselves. First of all, our actions. And secondly, the mindset that we need to have. Because you know, and I know that what we think in our minds, or what the Bible says, what we think in our hearts, is, is what we do. And so we need to control our minds, control what we think, how we think, and the actions that we take, and that's what Paul is going to address. If you want to take your Bibles and turn to the 1 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to read from verse 12 through 16. It might be worthwhile for us to stand out of respect for the Word of God. 1 Timothy chapter 4, and I'll read from verse 12. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Thus far in the reading of God's word. Thank you. You may be seated. I would suspect that the majority of people here are believers. And I would suspect that you all have a, a certain desire to serve the Lord effectively where you are and in your lives, whatever that life looks like. Paul addressed Timothy, the young man that he had led to the Lord at a, probably as a teenager in 
Lister and Derby was where he was living at the time. And now Timothy is a young pastor of a church, one of the great churches of the ancient world, church at Ephesus. And as we consider this, we're going to consider the actions that he has and the mindset. First of all, the actions. It begins like this. Let no one despise. Now, the, the author writes, no, let no one despise your youth. In a society at that time that prized age, a man in his mid-30s would be considered a youth and readily disrespected. Cast your mind over the, the day in which we live. If you aren't 20, you're over the hill. Have you been amazed at how many people you've met who were over 20 who still dress like they were 20? Who think they should dress like they were 20? Now, I'm not commenting on anybody's dress here this morning. I haven't made any inventory, so don't worry about that. However, we live in, a, in, a, in an upside-down world compared to what Timothy was living in. Back then, if you weren't an aged person, you were disrespected. Now, if you're not youthful, you're disrespected. So when, when Paul writes this, he says, let no one despise your youth. I would suggest that what he's saying is don't let anyone despise your situation, your condition. Youth is just one of the burdens that can arise in our minds. What, a, what a opposition, what, what hesitation arises in your mind when you consider your service to the Lord. I wrote down some things here. Age. You may say, well, I get up this morning and I felt so down, I, I could hardly move. So I can't serve the Lord. Your age can be an, a factor. Too much or too little age. And you can use that as an excuse to not do the Lord's work. Appearance. My nose is way too big. People won't like me. My hair is the wrong color. Now, I've seen some interesting hair colors since we traveled. Bright pink, dark purple. I'm not, if you have some of those colors, that's fine. I'm not opposed to that. I just think it's an interesting choice of coloring. You may think that if it's not the right color, you can't be respected. You may now think if you don't wear the right clothes, you may not be respected. It. We were waiting in the airport at, at Allentown for our luggage to come. It took a lot longer than it normally does. I don't know why it did. There were a group of Hispanic men standing there. They all had it on hill figure and various and sundry uh, fancy name brand tops. And I know from experience in Latin America, they have a real emphasis on having the right brand name. And if you go to the outlet malls, you'll find people always having to have coach bags and whatever all else they are. If you don't have the right accoutrements, you are not acceptable in your society. Appearance. Nationality. I was talking with some people this morning in German, which I enjoy doing. And yet, they have an accent, if you're here in America. 
can be a problem. If you don't have the right accent, if you have a Hispanic accent, that can be a problem. If you have a, an Eastern European accent, that can be a problem. If you have an Irish accent, it could have been a problem. If you had an Italian accent, it could have been a problem. If you had a Chinese accent, it could have been a problem. If you had a Vietnamese accent, it could have been a problem. All of those things can be used as an excuse to not do the will and work of God. Ethnicity. We live in Idaho. It's pretty mono-ethnic, I should say, but we moved there from Georgia, which was multi-ethnic in every imaginable sense of the term. And I know people that allowed their ethnicity, whether it was African heritage or Asian heritage or Latin heritage or, or wherever it was, to, to discourage them from serving the Lord. And they, they allowed what they were to distract them from what it was to serve the Lord. Paul says, let no one despise your youth. Let no one despise your ethnicity. Let no one despise your age. Let no one despise you fill in the blanks. Language ability. I was in Ecuador just a few weeks ago. We have a national co-worker. He's Ecuadorian. His wife is Ecuadorian too, but she's from the Quechua heritage, which is an Indian tribe there. And there are people that re reject the Quechua Indians because they're not as good as the Spanish were. They, she could allow that to hinder her from ministry. She didn't, and we were praising her for that. But the fact of the matter is there were people who had that against her. Maybe you have something that is a hindrance to you. Heritage from where you've come or where you've been. You should not allow it to stop you from serving the Lord. Paul is saying, let no one despise your whatever it is. Your gender. I'm not going into the LBGT thing. I'm just saying that some people think that women are lesser creatures. Some people think that men are lesser creatures. I'm not sure which is which, but... Well, I do know I, the difference, actually. Don't misunderstand here. Uh, all I'm saying is people can use all kinds of things to, a, to hinder themselves from being servants of the Lord. Your history, your academic degrees. I can't serve the Lord because I'm not trained. BMW accepts missionaries whether they have Bible school training or not. And we test them if they've been to a church, but there's many churches that train the people effectively in all the scriptures. And so it's not amount about the, the degree that you have, it's about the willingness to serve the Lord that you have. Your health. I knew a lady who was elderly. This is when I was in Philadelphia. She couldn't walk. So she would get her son, the driver to downtown street in Philadelphia, park on the side of the street. She'd roll her back, the back window down of her car. This is back in the days when you could roll it down and not push the button and push it down. And she would sit in the backseat of her car, and people would be walking on the sidewalk, and she would beckon them over. And a little old lady sitting in the backseat of a car, that's not very threatening, so they would come over and she would say, do you know Jesus? She allowed that as an opportunity. She allowed her frailty to become an opportunity to minister to people. And I was suggesting you need to do that exact same thing. But you need to remember that your condition... Whatever it is does not hinder you from serving the Lord.
your wealth. I can serve the Lord because I've got money. I can't serve the Lord because I don't have money. That's, that's a crock as well. Whether you have money or not doesn't matter. What you feel about your money is what matters. Well, I have money, so I have to protect it. I have to hold on to it. I don't have much money, so I have to be greedy about other things. No, I've met rich people who were generous and desiring to serve the Lord. I've met poor people who were generous and willing to serve the Lord, and vice versa in both, both cases. Your wealth cannot be a distraction from your situation. And there's likely more things that I have not listed. So you understand when, when Paul says, let no one despise your youth, he wasn't just saying just your youth. He was saying whatever condition you find yourself in, don't allow it to be a distraction. I have Parkinson's and my hand shakes. I don't allow that to distract me from serving the Lord. Now, I, I end up having to type a little bit different than I used to because I get more letters than I want. But uh, that's what autocorrect does. Trouble is, it corrects me sometimes not the way I want to be corrected. But anyway, I have to sort that out. But you see, you can't allow your circumstance, whatever that circumstance is, to distract you from serving the Lord. So as you saw these men up here, the elders and deacons, some were tall, some were handsome, some were not. I won't make any comments as to who was which one. But they can't allow that to be a distraction. They have got to allow themselves to be servants of the Lord regardless of their situation. And so when you pray for them, pray that John won't be distracted by his big nose or whatever, whatever the situation is or Tim by his beard, you know. You, you've, got to, you've got to allow the Lord to use you with who you are. God has been shepherding your genes. Think of it this way. God has been shepherding your genes since Adam. Watching over all the details, every detailed connection of genes from here to there to bring you to this day, and he chose you for who you are. This is, this is, this is an amazing privilege to have been chosen by God, shepherded by God, and made who you are, with your eyes the way they are, with your ears the way they are, with your hair and your nose and your toes and everything. It was all, all chosen by God. And he wants those to be springboards for you to be a servant of his. Let no one despise your youth. So when you read that phrase, remind yourself that it's not an excuse for you to quit or to distract yourself from the service of the Lord. It's an opportunity. Now, he goes on to explain how that works. He says, but be an example to the believers. Now, <clears throat> I lead a home Bible study in, in Idaho, and we went through this passage a few weeks ago. A number of the people in the congregation have King James, or uh, the number of people in the group have King James Bibles. In the King James, it says... Be an example of the believers. Mine is, is the New King James. It says, be an example to the believers. Now, those two little words, of and to, are two different direction words. But the more we talked about it, the more we thought it didn't make any difference which one it was. Be an example to the believers and be an example of the believers. Are you an example 
of the believers to the people around you? Are you a testimony to the believers who see you and watch over you? Are you an example of the believers to the community at large? Are people going to say, boy, those Christians there at, at Milford Bible Church, I'd like to be like them. That's what he's saying. Be an example to the believers. Now he goes on and lists five things how you're going to do this. In word, this has to do with speech. What's your speech like? I'm not saying do you speak proper English or do you speak proper whatever it is, the language you speak. I'm saying do you speak pure words, clean words, effective words, communication words, loving words, generous words, gracious words. Is your speech flavored with a way that attracts people to the living God, Jesus Christ? Or is your speech a distraction? You say, well, I grew up as a sailor, so I have a salty speech. Shame on you. You should be in control of your speech. You should be in control of the words that you use. And Paul is saying, let no one despise your youth. Be an example in word to the believers, of the believers. So you need to take time to spend effort to look at how you speak. Whether you use proper English, that's your choice. But if you use clean words, pure words, proper words, that's the word, what you have to do. I won't take the time to look at a bunch of passages, but if you want to make notes, Matthew 12, 34 through 37, Ephesians 4, 25, 29, and 31 all talk about the kind of speech that people are to have. Notice it also says, be an example to the believers in word, in conduct. How do you conduct yourself? Have you stood back and looked at the behavior that you practice on a day-to-day -day basis? Have you stood back and looked at the opportunities that you have to interact with people around you? Are you a pleasure to be around or are you a nuisance? So they breathe in a sigh of relief when you leave their presence. Your conduct, your walk, your way of life, your living, those are all factors that you have a choice to make how you live. What testimony does this church have in the community? You are the testimony. You have that choice. Your conduct is a reflection of the people that you hang out with. Now, it goes on and it says, in love. This is the word agape. Self-sacrificial service for others. Do you love others? Or do you just love yourself? We all love ourselves. That's a given. But do you love others? Be an example of loving. How do you do that? Take a moment just to inventory your interaction with people around you. Do they know that you love them? Oh, my husband knows I, lo I love him. My wife knows I love him. My children know, my grandchildren, my aunts and uncles. But what about the people in the neighborhood, the neighbor across the street, the neighbor down the road, the people you work with at, at the plant? All of these people, do they know that you love them? 
I'm not talking about the mushy-gushy stuff. I'm talking about the stuff that is self-sacrificial, where you put their interests in front of yours, where you serve them with a heart of graciousness and generosity. That's what Paul's talking about. Now, you notice I skipped the word in spirit. Some of your Bibles have in spirit. Well, the best texts don't have it. And when you think about it, it's not really germane because we're going to get to that in a, in a few minutes down in another passage. But in faith. How many of you have heard of COVID? Put your hand. Everybody's heard of COVID. Okay. How did your church respond? How did you respond? Did it produce in you faith and confidence in the sovereign God that even though the whole country was in chaos, the whole country was in lockdown or whatever else you guys in Pennsylvania had to go through to, to weather this storm, you and I got to exhibit faith. We got to practice the faith and confidence that God was in control. And nothing surprised him. Nothing came out of, the, out of the woodwork that he didn't know was coming. And we need to exhibit that, and we need to be a testimony to the community around us that even though stuff went haywire for a while in our society, I can tell you it's a lot worse than other countries. We've been to some other countries since that time, and they had a lot worse. If you were driving the wrong number plate on your car, the police confiscated your car and took it away on wrong days. So you can be grateful you live in the United States. It wasn't as bad as you thought it could have been in faith. And then finally, in purity. Sexual purity is the word here. My friends, we live in a, in a debauched age. Marches across the cities, the major cities of America and some of the minor cities promote a, a lifestyle of debauchery and rejection of purity. And my friends, you and I need to be an example of purity in our behavior, in our dress, in our actions, in our vocabulary, in our conversation. And we need to exhibit that in society. We need to be a, a testimony to the people around us. That's how we're an example to the believers. No one will despise your age or your youth or your nose or whatever else that we talked about. No one will despise that if you be an example in word, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So how do you do that? Well, Paul said, till I come, give attention to reading. Give attention. The word give attention is the word make this your constant effort. So what I'm going to tell you now is what you are consistently supposed to be practicing in your day-to-day. -day. Everything is supposed to be consistent. Now, listen to what it says. To reading. Now, the interesting thing about this phrase, give attention to reading, that's the public reading of the Word of God. That's one of the reasons why I had a stand as we read the passage ahead of us. Because we give attention to the reading of the Word. When we stood, every one of us took the time to say, I'm looking at this passage. 
It took our minds off the fact that our bottoms didn't feel right. It took our minds off all the other things that were on our mind because we had to pay attention to holding our Bibles and reading the Bible. That's one of the things that the person who is giving attention will do. He'll give attention to the reading of the Word of God. I was reading this morning in the book of Romans, and I'm sure that you have been, you were reading this morning as well in your devotions. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I trust that you've all taken time this morning to spend time in the Word of God, reading and allowing God to speak to your heart through His Word. By the way, it has the sense of reading the Scriptures followed by exposition. The passages is Nehemiah 8, 1 through 8, and Luke 4, 16 through 21. Give attention to exhortation. Give attention to exhortations. Challenge the hearers to apply the word to the daily lives. If you want to take just a moment and turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, we'll take a moment to look at this passage. Exhortation is not a common word that we use anymore. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14. Now I exhort you, brethren. This is what exhortation is. Warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. If you want to be an exhorter, a person who exhorts people from the Word of God, these are the things you have to do. Warn the unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient with all. So when Paul says, give attention to exhortation, the elders and deacons, one of their responsibilities is to exhort the brethren. So if you've been unruly, you may find one of the deacons on your door saying, John, we need to talk. You have been unruly in the church. Kicking over the wastebaskets is not a good thing. You have to stop doing that. Now, I'm not sure anybody does that here, but uh, if that was to be the case, then someone ought to come and warn you that that's bad behavior. You get the picture. By the way, exhortation comes best when the person has already exhibited the fact that he loves you in advance. When your pastor comes, the days to come, one of the things he's going to have to communicate to you is his love for you as a congregation. And as you begin to grasp the reality of his love for you, he may at times come to you and say, you need to sort out this or that behavior. If he comes to you with a voice that has already practiced love, it'll be easy to take, and you will be able to accept that. If he has not exhibited that, if he has not trained you to think of him as loving you, it'll be more difficult to accept the, the training. Exhortation comes best from someone who loves. So you elders and deacons, you have to communicate to the congregation that you love them. You care for their souls in a way that transcends just being nosy, a busybody. And then to doctrine. Pay attention to doctrine. 
systematic teaching from the Word of God. That's chapter 3, verse 2, and then Titus 1, 9. And I don't know what time you, I suppose you get done at 12. Is that what time you get done here? <laughs> no, I, I won't be going until 12. I'm, don't misunderstand me here. We do have to consider, though, the mindset of the Christian who is going to serve the Lord. We'll move through this quicker. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which is given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Do not neglect. It's possible to get so preoccupied with stuff that you forget to serve the Lord, that you forget to be in the place of serving the Lord. You forget to be the kind of person you need to be to serve the Lord. You forget to be the, the servant that you have been chosen to be. Now, this is the elders and deacons, but everyone here has this opportunity. Do not neglect. Now, what does that mean? You can forget. You can not pay attention to. You can get preoccupied with other stuff. You have to purposefully work to attain this mindset that we're going to look at. By the way, everyone has been given a responsibility. Every Christian has been given a gift or, or multiple gifts, perhaps, by the Lord at salvation for you to use for the congregation. The pastor has the gift of preaching, perhaps, gift of exhortation, perhaps, gift of encouragement, leadership, and so on. But there are many gifts that he doesn't have because no man or woman can have all of them. So the congregation has the ability to serve and do the work of the ministry. You all need to exhibit your gift, use your gifts in the spirit of the Lord. That's what he's, do not neglect the gift, is what he's saying. Now, Timothy seemed to have the following gift of leadership with an emphasis on preaching and teaching. And again, there's two Timothy 1, 6, 4, 2, and 1 Timothy 4, 6, 11, 13, and 6, 2. It says, do not neglect the gift that was given to you by prophecy. You say, well, there's no prophets here, probably not. But somehow, you as a congregation chose these men. You exhibited a discernment on the part of choosing these men to set them apart. And that setting apart was part of your understanding as men and women with a, with a mind to serve the Lord. You recognized the, the qualities and gifts and the training that these men had. Identified by revelation and apostolic confirmation, and there's passages for that. You have publicly laid hands on them very similar to what Timothy experienced here. Timothy, you remember, was a young man that was saved in the ministry of Paul during his first missionary journey. Second missionary journey, they chose him. Now, the, the elders of the churches in Lystra and Derby all gave a good report about Timothy. How many young people here do you give a good report about? How many young people here have you chosen to be servants of the living God? How many young people here have you 
been encouraging in walking with the Lord? How many young people here have you been choosing and putting your hand upon them to say, Billy, we'd like to see you help us in Sunday school? Now, maybe just as a helper in the class, but he may exhibit ability. And so, and I don't have time to go into it, but it's an amazing story about Timothy, how he was chosen by God and acknowledged by the men and women of that church. Then it says, meditate on these things. How many of you do meditation? I don't mean that alm stuff where you sit around and crazy positions. I mean meditate, spend time thinking about what it means to be a servant of the living God. As you read your Bible, how does this apply to me? I try to read every single day. If I'm going to be busy early in the morning, I try to get up early enough to make sure I have time to read. And I trust that you do as well. And I spend time thinking about what I'm reading. Spend time thinking about the the passage of Scripture so that I can apply it to my heart and mind. Then he says, give yourself entirely to them. How many distractions do you have? Ask yourself, how many things are in my life that distract me from my service to the living God? How many things come between me and serving God? How many things are a distraction? Paul says you have to give yourself entirely to them. I'm not saying you shouldn't go snowmobiling. Well, you may not do it this afternoon, of course. But I'm not saying that you should spend all your time thinking about getting your snowmobile ready for next winter. It's a ways off. So you've got time to think on other things right now. However, we find ourselves easily distracted, don't we? Whatever it might be that distracts us. Give yourself entirely to them. You will be observed. You will be scrutinized and you'll be judged, rightly or wrongly. All your deacons and elders, they're going to be scrutinized. People know who they are. You've, you've got them up here, pointed them out, and everybody knows who they are. Now, I struggled to list them all off again this, after, this morning, but I don't know them that well. You know them. And you will be scrutinizing them. You will be judging them. You will be observing them. Then it says, take heed. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Do you spend time taking heed? I'm asking you a lot of questions because I want you to be thinking. Because it's, it's not, I've thought these thoughts. I've been through this several times and I've considered these things. But it's important for you to take heed, for you to think, to take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. And then we're going to finish with this. Continue in them. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. If you want to have an impact on people around you, continue in these things. Doctrine, word, conduct, love, faith, purity, 
if you take heed to those things, if you spend time thinking about those things, you will be blessed. And you will have an impact on your own life and the lives of people around you. My prayer for this congregation has been for, for weeks now is that you as a congregation will have an impact on this community that transcends Milford Township, spreads into New York and New Jersey and Western Pennsylvania and Northern Pennsylvania and all around. And you can have an impact that far outshines your local situation. May God grant you the ability to continue in these things. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, as we contemplate the instructions you gave this man, Timothy, we understand that there is a great responsibility but a great opportunity. May the men and women of this congregation, especially the leaders, the new pastor and the elders and the deacons, may these men and their spouses and their responsibilities, may they be a reflection of your presence. May they be a reflection of your work. May they be a reflection of your heart and mind. And Father, may you preserve this congregation in a very special way. Father, we commit them to you with confidence, not in, in ourselves, but in your faithfulness and your Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.